Oh. Hey, has, has January caught anybody else by surprise besides me? Like, boom! Wow, what is going on? Going way too quick. Um, hey, welcome this morning. We're glad that you're here. If you're new or visiting, we just want to say hi. Uh, come next week and we do a welcome uh, after the second service and you can find out more. It's just a way to meet some of the staff and that. And Zach's laid that out for you. So we hope that you take advantage of that. Uh, a couple things before we get to the message. One, um, I'd like to alert you as a church family that we need to pray for Awaken, our church plant in Florida. Andrew has sent out... Um, uh, a request for us to pray for them. They are doing well. The church is growing. They have baptisms, but they cannot meet their salary. And so they're in the classic church planters catch 22 of life is happening, but they can't stretch the dollars. So they are in the process of trying to decide what to do, and they would appreciate our prayer for that. All right. So I just want to alert us as a church family. The second thing is I want to meddle a little bit. Um, because my soul got irritated yesterday because we went to the movies. And um, uh, so we're standing in the lobby, and here's this huge 20-foot poster, and it's for the uh, advertisement for Fifty Shades of Grey. And uh, it says, Curious. And I'm like, my answer to that is the old saying, Curiosity killed the cat. That kind of curiosity is going to kill us, all right? And uh, I've, I, I don't know of the book. I became aware of the book uh, about two years ago when uh, actually Andrew went to Florida and he said, Steve, I'm on this plane and there's like 100 people reading this book. And he said, I, I kind of wondered what. So I asked the gal next to me and she was showing me and he says, it's just straight lace pornography. But it's story porn, all right? And uh, if you think story porn is different than picture porn, it's actually more intriguing. Uh, Fifty Shades of Grey's Lady is actually meant for women. Okay, It's women's pornography wrapped in story form and romance um, in that sort of deal. And I just want to point out the deadly danger of that. All right, I just, I'm not going to rant. I'm not going to rave. But I, just, I just want you to know I, I was provoked in my spirit and felt like I had to say something to warn us. Um, uh, you know, I'd encourage you not to go there. Don't feed into your curiosity. I don't think anything's good going to come out of it. Um, but, you know, and I know, why are you saying that? Because, you know, it's on the web and there's all this kind of stuff. <sighs> Pornography's killing us. All right? It's killing us. It's not just men anymore. Uh, I know two marriages that are blown up right now uh, from Fifty Shades of Grey and both from the women's side. Right, so I'm going, guys. It's a it's a big deal, gals. It's a big deal, and uh, purity is still a big deal before the Lord. And I know it's tough, but keep fighting for purity. All right, keep fighting for Jesus' spirit in your heart. Keep fighting for clarity. Uh, don't give up on the battle. You can win if you're having a terrible struggle. Nine times out of ten, it's because you're fighting it on your own, and it's a shame-based thing. Find a posse. Find a buddy. Find somebody that you can talk to. And uh, get it out. And uh, nine times out of ten, the power of sin is in its hiddenness. Right? And as long as it's hidden, as long as it's unspoken, as long as you stuff it, it's got control over you. When you go and tell somebody, they go, oh, I've struggled with that too. Oh, you mean I'm not the only one in the universe? Right? So I just, I just felt compelled to say that. Um, and I just want to let you know that you should not go see that movie. All right? All right, enough of that. 
We are in First uh, Thessalonians, and uh, we're going through, and we're going to do chapter 2 today, all right? I wanted to do half of chapter 2, and it didn't work out right because chapter 2 is a blend of things together. And so I want to start, if you take your Bibles and turn there, uh, to First Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want to start um, at the uh, end of the chapter. Isn't that a pastoral thing to do? Greg, can you advance it? It's not advancing. Thank you very much. All right. The end of the chapter says, What is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul wraps up this chapter talking about the value, the incredible value that he places in the Thessalonians. And he says, you know, when we come before Jesus... What, what are we going to throw at his feet? What are we going to be able to show him? And Paul says, you know what, Thessalonians, it's going to be you. Think about that. Think about the incredible privilege that is. This is actually one of the more famous uh, passages, verses in the New Testament. What Paul's pulling from is we know when we get to heaven, it says that everyone will cast their crowns at Jesus' feet. And so the question that comes up in this uh, passage today and what we're looking at is what is it that will be in our crown and what paul says that the substance of the crown is are the people that he's invested in right in this case the thessalonian church remember that this letter uh, most bible scholars think it's the very first epistle that paul wrote right so in that sense this is really important it's really significant because Paul's t- teaching us what really matters. The gold, the crown, the jewels that we'll place at Jesus' feet will be the people that we've invested in for the sake of the kingdom down here. All right. Paul is saying literally the Thessalonians are his jewels. Literally they are his glory and his joy. When he thinks about what's important to him, he's thinking of the Thessalonian church. And we're going to look at the beginning of his defense of his ministry this morning to protect that crown. That's where we're going. So would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, as we look, we're looking at uh, the first epistle. We're looking at what your spirit prompted Paul to write. And Lord, uh, a lot of what's going on in this epistle will be very, very relevant um, for our day today and right now. And we need you to translate that for us. We need your help with your spirit. you know that one of my attitudes is is that if people heard from you this morning and didn't hear from me, that would be a fantastic thing. And so I pray for an openness that your spirit will be welcome, that you can have a conversation completely separate from this message. Uh, you can highlight something out of this message I didn't even bring up, or you can underline a point that you brought me to and it really sticks out for someone. We seek you for that kind of a live dialogue with you, and we ask for your favor in that. In your name, amen. All right. So let's begin. uh, Go to verses 1 and 2. Paul wants to start out here. uh, Greg, can you advance again? Thanks, bud. Okay. He wants to start out again with a reminder of how it all began. All right. Remember that uh, Paul is separated. He is not with them. He is down in Corinth. All right. So he had come uh, through Philippi. and, And what you see in these verses, he says, For you know yourselves, brothers that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, that was where he and Silas had gotten whipped 
unlawfully as Roman citizens. They were thrown in jail. At midnight, they were singing songs. An earthquake happened. The jailer thought all the uh, prisoners had gotten free. Paul says, no, don't kill yourself. We're still here. And then he came in and shared the gospel with them that Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the dead. The Philippian jailer and all his family uh, came to Christ. And then later, the, the Roman authorities found out they had unlawfully whipped Paul and Silas. And so they wanted to ship them out of town very quickly. That's where Paul says they were very shamefully treated as Roman citizens. And what does that mean? That means this, folks. Number one, life is not fair. Life didn't even treat the Apostle Paul fair, all right? So you shouldn't be surprised when it doesn't treat you fair, all right? Paul's saying, we were shamefully treated. You ever been shamefully treated? Situation, right? It's, it's not fun to go through. Nobody lines up at church and says, hey, I'll vote for that, right? Pick me, pick me, okay? No, it doesn't happen, all right? But in this passage, what you're going to find out is Paul's going to go through three defenses uh, because already people are trying to undermine his ministry, they're already cheap-shotting him. They're already going after his credibility. Who is Paul? Who's, who put him in charge? Yada, yada, yada. And so he's going to defend his handling of the gospel, number one. He's going to uh, deal with the handling of themselves. In other words, Paul and his team, how they conducted themselves. And then the third one is how they handled the Thessalonians. In other words, he's going to say to these detractors, Thessalonians, look at these three things. I know a lot of people are carping on us, but number one, how did we handle the gospel? Number two, how did we handle ourselves in front of you? What do you remember? Number three, number three uh, how did we handle you? Right? And he's going to look at those, those three things. And the reason he's saying that is because he's getting pot shot at. Have you ever been shot down before? Right? Somebody took a shot at you and just, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking, I'm looking at Kyle and thinking about being a teacher in school, and that's a ready target, right, Kyle? You ever gotten unfairly shot at? Yeah. <laughs> Kyle's going, hey! <laughs> right? Um, it, it's part of how it works, and, and somebody just takes what we call a cheap shot. It's not based on anything, it, but they just want to go at you. Um, and we all kind of, I think, know... Uh, but another side is, have you ever tried something? Yeah, I mean, taking a risk. Went out of your comfort zone, like Zach was actually talking about this morning, and then it, it, it bombed on you, right? Or you got defeated. You, somebody else was more clever than you, and you got defeated. What's your natural tendency when that happens, right? Not pull your wings in and, and not tr- get clipped again, right? Uh, and Paul is saying, look, we were shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, And we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In other words, Paul's saying boldness, another word you could put in place here, is courage. Paul understands. He's saying it took great courage to declare the gospel to the Thessalonians. Now you can imagine that, right? You go to Philippi, you share the gospel, you get the snot beat out of you. And I mean literally. You get the snot beat out of you What's your odds of saying, hey, let's go to the next town and see how it goes again? Right? And Paul said, hey, when we came from Philadelphia, it took a great deal of boldness or courage to try to share with you what we shared with you. And it was in the midst of much conflict. Remember, Paul was only there, uh, most scholars estimate, about three weeks. That is a whale of a church planning strategy. Plop into town, come in on the rail, drop off three weeks, preach the gospel, and then get shuttled out just as quickly because of threat of death. 
right? Probably at midnight, probably at dark, shipped out of town. And you're, you're wondering how it could work. So Paul was saying even for him, it took a great deal of courage or boldness um, to share the gospel with the Thessalonians. Then if you go on to verses 3 to 5, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Those are very critical statements there. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. So here's where Paul is launching into his defense uh, of the gospel to the Thessalonians. And he's saying, our gospel, we did, when we came, my appeal to you in this epistle is, think back to how you saw us operate. When we came, we didn't come with error, we didn't come with impurity, and we didn't come with an attempt to deceive. In Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 2, Paul's also making a defense to the gospel to now the Corinthian church. There, this is later. Paul has a tremendous ministry in Corinth. He's there for anywhere from 18 months to two years. And uh, in that book, in 2 Corinthians 2, he uses the same idea and he says uh, this theme, he says that they weren't peddlers of the word of God, right? He said, we didn't peddle the word of God. You know, when you think back to the old West movies, right? Go back to the old West movies and the peddler would always come into town, right? And he always had like this broken down horse and he had this old wagon with Dr. Xavier's magic elixir, right, kind of thing. And uh, he would sell anywhere from pots and pans to soap to a magic elixir. What's the goal of a peddler? Does the peddler necessarily have to really believe in what he's selling you? No, right? What's What's the motive or the goal of a peddler? To make money, right? He wants to make money. And so uh, a peddler doesn't have to believe in what he's selling you. He just has to be really good at selling you what he wants to sell you. Right? And that, by the way, has been the argument uh, on the table for the church and for pastors uh, since the time of Paul. The only reason you're in it is because you get ahead. The only reason you share that is because you're selling people something. The only reason you do that is because you are greedy. Right? And that, that has been on the table since the time of Paul. And he's actually uh, arguing with that right here. He's saying, we were approved by God. Remember the story. Remember what I told you. Paul says if, when he wants to validate his ministry, because people would say, well, who made Paul the authority? Who, made Paul, who gave Paul the right to come barging in our town? Who set that up? And Paul says very clearly, I want you to know, I was called by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I did not go to Jerusalem and consult the other apostles, the super apostles as they're called, Peter, James, John, all those guys. He said, I didn't, I, I didn't do that. He said, I, the most unlikely candidate, the greatest of all sinners, who was guilty of persecuting the church, got knocked off my donkey and wound up on a road blind and then ended up engaging with the risen Christ. And Jesus said to me, Paul, it's hard to kick against the goats. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I was approved by God and then I was entrusted with the gospel. 
And so this, he's saying, this is our approach. Remember how we came. We didn't come to please man. We came to share what God was doing. And in the midst of all that, God tests our hearts. Boy, isn't that true? Doesn't your heart get tested when you try to share the gospel with somebody? Right? Because it all comes on the table. All of a sudden, all the big things, the important things of life, boom, right? And most of the time, you can't time it. Right? It's in a grocery store. It's with a friend at the park. It's you're at work and somebody throws a comment out, right? And suddenly you're caught and you don't have four hours to sit down and think through a response and say, let me go to my study, consult the ancient texts, and I will come back to you in three days and have an answer. No, it's right there, right? And your heart gets tested. Paul says, what he's talking about here is, but to please God who tests our hearts. In other words, it's God who's testing the motive of the conviction. God was testing Paul for how he would handle that gospel because it's one thing to be called by God. It's another thing to handle the calling well. That makes sense? It's one thing to be called by God. It's another thing to be uh, handled the calling well. What I'm trying to get to us is it wasn't automatic for Paul. He didn't just roll out of bed, super apostle, and say, what a lovely stroll through the, you know, the Mediterranean countryside. And by um, these are some pretty uh, towns, and I think I'll stop and just share the gospel. It wasn't, it wasn't automatic. It was struggling in the midst of that. Paul was being tested himself for how would he handle the call on his life. Just like you are tested every day, every morning, every week, for how will you handle um, the call of the gospel. Now, in our culture, we go, okay, we don't walk from town to town, right? Nowadays, it's all electronic. So it's how you talk on the phone. It's how you, uh, how you text. It's how you uh, do the Internet. It's how you interact with people. On, um, I don't do Facebook, okay? But many of you do Facebook. And I watch my children. They give me all the updates on the family because they're doing it all, right? That's how I do Facebook, through my kids. But um, our interactions are tested just the same today as if they were back in the time of Paul. God tests us as we are doing that. And he says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext agreed. God is our witness. Paul saying, Look, God is my witness. This is why I came to you. And so he's laying this out. He takes it farther in verses 6 through 8. If you look here, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. So he takes it a step farther now and he's saying, Hey, we didn't seek glory. I wasn't looking to build a resume. All right? Uh, I wasn't looking uh, to... And I think I understand Paul on this from my personal perspective only. Uh, I did not get into ministry because I said, hey, I want to become a pastor. I want to flatter a lot of people and I want to get way ahead financially, you know, and drive around in my BMW and that's a swanky life and that's the target I'm going after. That was not how I got into ministry, okay? I I got into ministry by scrubbing pots in a church kitchen. 
I can't tell you the story this morning. We don't have time, but someday I'll, I can tell you the story. But I, I and by scrubbing pots, because I didn't want to lead anymore, because everything I'd let in, I'd messed up, and I thought I will serve instead. Duh, you know, how do you become a leader in the kingdom by serving? I did not know that at the time. Nobody told me. They did not inform me. All right, um, and so I, I, I've had two stints, or actually three. What my first year and a half in the church in Green Bay. 25 years at North Shore and then 10 years here. I did not start out saying, I am going to be a pastor who's done this for 35 years. I'm amazed I made it past two. All right? And those of you who know when I started here, you would know that that's true, right? It wasn't seeking glory, right? If you're in the ministry to get a buckle or a badge or a medal, boy, you're in for the wrong motives, okay? Because uh, it, it doesn't work that way. And Paul's saying this. He's saying, um, we didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. And he's saying we could have made demands. He said we had a right to. And what he's saying there is he's talking about uh, we could have asked for money. We could have put a collection together and, and taken money from you. But we didn't do it. We didn't do it. Because we wanted to keep a clear conscience before God. And he says, and he's what I like about this here is he's not just being a guy. You know, we so think of Paul as this type A driven missionary, conquer the world, get out of my way. Mark, John Mark, you blew it. You don't get to come anymore. Boom, 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 boom kind of guy, right? And here he uses an amazing illustration of how his heart was towards the Thessalonians. He uses a feminine illustration. He says, you want to know what my heart was like towards you? You want to know how I felt about you? He said, I felt towards you I was gentle towards you uh, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, right? There is no more beautiful picture in the world than a mom with a brand new newborn uh, holding it or breastfeeding a baby. That is the most gentlest picture we know of, right? And Paul, you wouldn't expect him to use that. He uses that. I think it's brilliant. Here's why it's brilliant. Because everybody knows without him saying another word, also, who is the most dangerous person in the world to confront? That is a mom and her child, right? A mama bear and her cubs, right? If you're in the woods, you do not mess with a mama bear and her cubs. Because why? Mama gets really upset really quick. And there is nobody more ferocious than a woman protecting her children. All right? And Paul's using that without ever saying it saying, look, I was gentle towards you like a mom nursing, and that's why I'm fighting for you. You're my children. You matter that much. He's laying that out for them. And he says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only a gospel, but also our own selves. Why? Because you would become very, very dear to us. And he, he continues the example. And now you know why we had to do the rest of the chapter. Because if you look at this next verse, these next set of verses, 9 through 12, for you remember, he's playing it out now. You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Many Bible scholars feel that Paul, uh, they worked in, in tent making and literally they made sails or tents or stuff, a lot of it out of goat hair. And so they were what we call, that's where this term comes from, tent making is a person who has a career and then uses that career uh, to do a ministry for the gospel. Uh, we're usually familiar with this with missionaries, right? 
They will go to a country, work a trade or a craft, and then in that they will set up a base or a foundation where then they can launch out with the gospel and reach people and start or plant a church and uh, uh, build. We have all kinds of missionaries we support that are doing that, right? And, uh, and Paul says that we did that not because we didn't have a right to get money from you, but because we wanted to be an example. We wanted to be above reproach in this so that you would know we weren't interested in just being greedy. We weren't here to just sell or peddle a message. He says, because why? Because we proclaim to you the gospel of God. What we brought was what God had to give. All right. He says, you are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you as believers. By the way, what he's talking about there in that time as well as this time uh, we would be familiar with it, older generation, Elmer Gantry. Remember that name, right? Any of you over 40 remember that name? Uh, Elmer Gantry was a gospel preacher uh, down in the south in America who had a propensity for uh, having sex with women on the side while he was preaching the gospel because he knew that women would get stirred up and would become vulnerable and they'd come to him as the leader and then he'd have access to him. And so it's called being an Elmer Gantry. And that was very true in Paul's day, because they had these religious shrines uh, in Ephesus, they had the shrine of Diana and they had uh, temple or cult prostitutes. And so often uh, someone who came with a new message, uh, what came right behind it was sexual immorality. Right? And Paul is saying, look, you, I want you to know we were holy, righteous and blameless in our conduct towards you as believers. Look at what you knew about us. Look at what we did. How did we handle it? All right. Very important. For you know, like a father and his children, now he switches paradigms, right? Now he's talking about a father and his children. We exhort each one of you, encourage you as a father would, and, you, and we charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Because this was kind of a slam dance sort of deal. It was a pagan culture. They worshipped idols. They had all kinds of things they were pulled from. They were consumed with lust. Paul preached the gospel, boom, and suddenly they're in the kingdom and asking Christ in life. Does that mean all the junk is gone? No, there was all kinds of stuff. And Paul was torn up that he got torn away from them because he wanted to help them fix that. But he was so encouraged when he found out many of them had left their old or former way of life. You know, just because you're here this morning and just because we look nice and we're dressed up does not mean we have left our old or former way of life. You know where it still hangs on? This, should, this is not news to you, but we'll just put it out there for public consumption. Right? It's in your mind, right? It's in your mind. In our minds, we still hold on to our former life, our former old life, our lusts, the things that captivated us, things that captured us, and it's not entirely of the kingdom. And Paul was trying to show them what it looked like to die to that and, and to be totally sold out and come alive to Christ. He says, for you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you. That's why they were staying up day and night, because they knew their time wasn't long. They were being ushered from house to house. They were being hidden. They were doing meetings while they were doing that. And in three weeks, they were shot out. Right? So he's, he's talking about how, as a dad, they gave them the scriptures. Paul had gone through the Old Testament, showed them where Jesus had shown up, did his entire defense that way. And he says, we charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and into his own glory. And then, if you look at verses 13 and 14, 
their response. Here was, now he's talking about their response. He said, and, you, and we also thank God constantly for this. Paul says, when I think of you, when I write about you, here's what I'm grateful to God for. This is what I think of when I think of you, and this is what I thank God for. He said, that you, when you received the word of God, when you heard it, which you heard from us, what, the story we told you, he said, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you as believers. That was as true then as it is true today. There are a lot of people that just go, hey, the institutional church is nothing more than a man-made gizmo. It's a way that pastors get money. It is uh, a human deal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been put together by men. It's held together by men. It is nothing of men. And it's just a lot of old fables and stories that people still hang on to. And Paul says, no, when we talked, when we shared the gospel with you, you recognized who it came from. You recognized it as from God. And you have to remember, when Paul's talking about this, like we're so familiar, we go, oh yeah, the New Testament. Oh yeah, the gospel. That Jesus came. He was the God-man. He was the perfect God-man. He was both fully God and fully man, and he walked on this planet, and he carried out his ministry, and his fulfillment of his ministry was to do exactly as his father had told him to do, which he did, which was to die on the cross for his sins, which, by the way, wasn't even easy for Jesus, because in the garden he said, hey, is there any way to take this away from me? Could this cup pass? I'm looking at what i got to drink. It don't look so hot. But nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. And it says, for that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. And he didn't just die there. He didn't just stay there. Okay? Why do we have an empty cross? A lot of you come from a Catholic background. I come from a Catholic background. Jesus was still on the cross. Because he's not on the cross anymore. Because he was placed in that tomb and then three days later rose from the dead. A dead person coming alive. How often does that happen in your world? You ever seen it? What is that, just a human concoction we just came up with? No, Paul says when you heard that, you knew it was the power of God that had done something very unique in Jesus and you bought it for what it was. And that is as true for the Thessalonians as it is us for today. It is not just a story. It is not just words. These are not just nice ideas. This is the power of God and his gospel for all eternity, as true as Paul once said it, as he's saying it here today. Jesus died for us and our sins. And any man is found in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. Does that mean all the old's gone? No, it means the new has come. God is reworking his kingdom. You ever had God do a root canal on you spiritually? Right? He's going to get the pus out. I got news for you. He's not going to let it sit there. Right? You ever go on with a tooth and go, oh, I'll go to the dentist someday. You know, right? Usually we're dumb, then our lip blows up. I think I'll go dentist, right? Really? What was your first clue? Your sin ever puss up on you like that? And God works His power of the gospel. Most of us are standing here because we recognize the gospel, not as some story a man told us, but because God did a work in our life, a miraculous work in our life. That should be celebrated. That's why we sing. That's why we raise our hands. That's why we do this stuff, because we are grateful. And Paul's talking about this whole thing, what he's talking about here. And he says, not only that, but he said, you, be, you bought it. You became imitators of us. 
You watched us. You watched what we did. You watched what we said. You watched it, and you imitated us. And because of that, I'm sitting in Corinth writing you a letter because you're still alive and you're still at church. He was, he was excited about that. He was really pumped because it wasn't, remember earlier, it wasn't in vain. He was talking about the purity of his motive and conduct. We're so familiar, but there, the gospel was brand, it had never been shared before. Think about that. Had never been shared before. They had never heard of Jesus. They had never heard of the cross. But Paul proved it to them through the Old Testament scriptures. And they bought it as the power of God. Now, like all good things, uh, oops, there we go, thank you. There's a cost to that message. Oops. Killer. Not seeker friendly. It's going to cost you, right? If you buy God... Then there's a cost. He said this, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. Paul is saying, guess what? When you bought the message, guess what you got to do? Ha, suffer. It cost you just like it cost us. As you imitated us, and we had to go through suffering, so when you bought the gospel, you had to suffer as well. And he's encouraging them in that. And he's saying, look, the motives of the people who cause you to suffer aren't the best. Why would Paul state that so strongly? Where did Paul have a tinge of guilt? He would have a tinge of guilt because he would have known his own motives when he persecuted the church. And he would have great angst over his fellow Jews who were blind to the gospel and would persecute the very Savior that had come to save them and they couldn't see it. And he's angry. You can pick it up here. You can tell in the text. He's not happy. Uh, Nobody knows. Scholars aren't sure. Uh, There's a lot of debate on it. But um, apparently something happened in Thessalonica that was a clarifying point because uh, he said, all these people oppose you. Uh, He said... Wrath has come upon them at last. Now, we don't know what happened. That's what it did that. It's like, wouldn't there be some go to heaven and say, hey God, what happened in Thessalonica that you, your wrath showed up? Well, this is what it, ooh, okay. Right? We don't know, honestly. But Paul says something happened and he says, you Thessalonians know that, and what's he saying to him? God, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. He's saying, don't take vengeance into your own hands. Leave it for God. He will make things right. Uh, I, I think the human tendency for revenge is very deep in us. Payback, right? We have all kinds of sayings for payback because it's something that, uh, all right, fine, but I'll get you, you blankety blank, 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 right? Of course, we're Christians, so we don't use those words, so we just use blankety blank, blank, blank. But the, the issue of vengeance, the issue of paying back is really tough. There's a price tag. There's a cost in all things. All right? And what's Paul frustrated with? What he's frustrated with is, um, Greg, can we go to the next slide? Thanks. Is the obstacle. He says this, For since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, 
because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. What is chafing his hide? He's separated from him. He's torn. He wanted to go back. He can't go back. And so instead, what does he have to do? He has to resort to writing them a letter. Have you ever been, have you ever been re, where you wanted to get with somebody, you couldn't do it, and you were reduced to writing a letter? Today we'd call it a text or an email. Hoping that they would pick up the right tone. In the, matter of fact, I now start most of my emails in these kind of situations with, hey, I'm really sorry that I have to talk to you through an email because I'm really worried because emails do not carry the right tone. And I don't know what tone you will read into as I share these things with you. But I will do my best to convey my heart. And then usually there's a ton of qualifiers of where my heart is. And then I try to say what I'm trying to say. Why? Because it, Paul feels that frustration. I, I've got to write this in a letter. But the other thing he's highlighting in this is the reality of spiritual warfare. Paul says, hey, I wanted to come back and Satan thwarted me. I have not been able to come back. There have been obstacles and stumbling blocks in my way and I cannot get back to you. I apologize, but here's my words in a letter to you. Just as they now had many friends in the gospel, Paul's trying to warn them, hey, when you get Jesus, you get God and all his friends, that's a good thing. But when you get Jesus, you also pick up all God's enemies because all those who oppose God now oppose you. And he was talking about the reality of, of spiritual warfare. He was saying, there's a real enemy with a real army, we would call them demons, who opposes everything godly. And for Paul, that wasn't just words. That wasn't something, uh, that wasn't polite pastor speak. Okay? Um, Paul thought spiritual for- warfare was real. He also thought the devil was real. And he laid that out for them. We're going to take a look at that much uh, deeper in a later chapter in Thessalonians because it's going to talk about the Antichrist and we're going to roll into that and uh, speak on that. But just for a highlight right now, Paul really thought uh, spiritual, and I am astounded at the lack of awareness among the body of Christ in this. I talk to people sometimes about spiritual warfare. They laugh at me. I mean, literally. And I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, oh, come on. Are we back to demons behind every bush and stuff? And I'm going, no, but what you just told me is demonic and you don't even recognize it's a lie from the enemy. Uh, you know, we might have uh, a picture of warfare out there somewhere, right? Uh, it affects Kirk. It doesn't affect me, right? Because Satan wants to pick on Kirk. But we don't have a very good picture for warfare, spiritual warfare in me and how Satan goes after me to derail or how Satan would go after a church to derail, and we need to. It was very real for Paul. He was afraid Satan would rip the Thessalonian church to shreds. And he saw all these uh, different groups trying to undo what he did, and that's why he's fighting so fervently for them to remember what happened when they were there and to go back to what they knew because they knew the devil would try to sift them like wheat. We'll, we'll come back to that some more, but just know that's not pastor speak, all right? So let's wrap up this morning. Let's go back to those verses that we started with. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. There's two questions that come out of this that I think are very good for us to ask this morning. And let me give them to you. Number one question is, who have you invested in for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God? 
Who have you invested in for the sake of the... This is talking about a people or a person, right? A group. Who have you invested in for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of God? And another question that could be asked, because uh, some of us are more task-oriented and we immediately feel guilt over that because we're not people-oriented, there's a great out for you and here it is, right? The question can be worded differently. Where have you invested in for the sake of the gospel in the kingdom of God, right? So if you're on that side of the equation, where have you invested? If you're on the relational side, who have you invested, right? Because what Paul says is it is the stuff that we do for Jesus, that's what we're going to have to show for the kingdom. And uh, Corinthians, we don't have time to go in. It talks about uh, that the end of our lives, every person's work is going to be tested by fire. So it's like this great blazing furnace. You come through and Paul says, hey, you know what fire does? If you have gold or uh, silver or precious stones and you pass it through a fire, what? The impurities go out of it. It just shines brighter, right? But he says if you built a foundation and all you got is wood, hay, and stubble, what happens to wood, hay, and stubble in a furnace? Right? And you basically walk into heaven in your underwear because you got nothing to show for it. And Paul is saying, hey, where have you invested? Who have you invested in? Paul says, you know what, Thessalonian church, when I get to heaven, when I throw the crown at Jesus' feet, you know who the crown's going to be? It's going to be you. That's how valuable you are to me. Who's your crown? Who do you pray for? Who's valuable to you? Who do you invest in for the sake of the kingdom? Where do you invest in? What ministry? Uh, You know, maybe you're just here and you have done nothing for the body. What a great deal to get involved. You say, work with children? I don't want to work with children. How about that one of those children become the next Dwight Moody or the next Billy Graham and you could go to Jesus and say, what a privilege to throw that at your feet. What a privilege to throw that at your feet. You know what I do every Sunday morning? I worship every Sunday morning before I ever come to church. Well, actually, I worship as I'm here at church, but long before Zach and them ever play. And you know what it's called? It's called putting the signs out. And as I put the signs out, it's not just putting the signs out, but those of you who've watched me and know, I go through the parking lot and there's all kinds of trash. Sometimes I will pick up as much as a bag of trash. right? But that's my worship time. I go and I pick up and I say, you know what, Jesus, I may not be able to do great things for you, but I can do small things. And I can pick up this plastic bottle for you and I can make the parking lot look nice so when people pull in, they go, hey, that looks clean. And Jesus, that to me is worship. I invest in that parking lot. When I get to heaven, I'll be able to say, hey, you know what, Lord? One of the things I did that I got a lot of pleasure was worshiping you out on the parking lot before anybody ever showed up. Hey, now, don't any of you join me. You will wreck and steal my joy. All right? So don't any of you do good or service people get out there and go, oh, I'll help you. No, 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 no. That's when I think. That's when I pray about the message. That's when I'm worshiping. I come in and I feel really full. What's yours? Where's your spot? You got a sweet spot like that? You got a place that nobody else knows, right? Where you invest in the kingdom, where you invest in people? Paul saying, you know what, Thessalonian church? You're my crown. I'm going to throw at your feet. What's your crown? What will you throw at the feet of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, great picture. What a beautiful picture. It can be big things. It can be simple things. It can be little things. It can be many things. Lord, but we still believe you're building your kingdom. We still believe 
that your gospel is the gospel of God and, and of your power? As we've looked at this, Lord, we can see Paul's passion for the Thessalonian church. He's talking about how he handled your word, which, Lord, is important, uh, an important point for us. He's talking about how they handled themselves, Lord, which we talked about this movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, Lord. Millions of teenagers are going to watch that film and think that's normal and right in what you do. You live life to be titillated. Lord, we would stand against that and pray against that. We ask for help against that. And then, Lord, he talked about how he handled them. Lord, it's a tremendous illustration for me how, to, how Paul handled the Thessalonian church, how to handle Norfolk. To be fair, to be straight, to be honest, to be right. And Lord, uh, for in our places where you put us, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at our jobs, uh, how we conduct ourselves is the gospel for many people. And we ask for your favor. Uh, thanks for this passage where Paul lays out his heart. And may we take something home specific for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.